Hey, I'm Mike Myers, and this is the Songwriting for Guitar podcast, which is geared to support songwriters and producers to gain confidence and turn pro. I bring on industry experts to help you improve and monetize your skills, engage better in the writing process, and build healthy habits to create a sustainable career that you love. Caffeinated, inspirational, conversational. Hey friends, Mike Myers here with the Songwriting for Guitar podcast, episode number 89, Jess Grimigula. Now, I've known Jess for a while. We, you know, you meet on Clubhouse during a pandemic, you chat, uh, we talked about the used war tour. Turns out she's an amazing music supervisor, and I love her perspective on maintaining and building quality relationships in this business. We even dive into a point where she had to hit the pause button on everything because her self-care, taking care of her health, maintaining her health, her job was actually slowly, slowly killing her. I know this gets a little heavy, but here's the thing. Every time I talk to Jess, it's like an espresso shot. I think that's just her Italian heritage just coming through. So we're going to get into it in this episode, episode number 89, Jess Gramigula. Somebody asked me, oh, how do you know Jess? And I was like, I think I reached out to her on Instagram when she mentioned the used on Clubhouse. And I was like, I know exactly what it is because I talk about it. The used is my favorite sync placement ever. I didn't do it. I don't know who did it, but it's my favorite sync trailer. Not even, tra- it's not like used in general, favorite use yeah. in general. Uh, they use Bird from a Worm uh, for uh, what uh, Clash of the Titans trailer. Okay. And I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, what? And it was so good. Cause like no one really, they're like big in the emo space, like the punk space. But uh, I don't actually, I don't know if they'd be considered punk, but. No, I think they would be because they worked with John Feldman. So to me, it's just like, and that's that weird transition where it was going from like pop punk to like, okay, now we've got story of the year. We've got the use, we've got all these bit kind of like mm-hmm. work tour was changing. Hair was getting longer and pulled yes. down a little bit. A little darker eyeliner. Yeah. yeah. Tighter pants, but holes, yeah. The pants that whoop sucked right on out. <laughs> we don't we don't need sound effects. You have provided your own sound effects for that. And I can get that visual. Yeah. But that's crazy. That's a, I remember you mentioning this and nobody on Clubhouse was like the use. And I was like No one got it. Any anyone? And then so I was like, follow. And I was like, hey, you mentioned the youth. And you were like, oh, awesome. But was, and this is where it was funny. And you were like, oh, yeah. And if you got music, you can send it to me here. <laughs> send me music. I know. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I want to get into this. Where did you kind of get into licensing and just that whole space? Because I'm like, everybody's path is so different to this So different. World. My path, I like to describe like this. It's like the best way. So... I, my, my degree is in music business. Like I got a music industry degree and, um, and it was a bachelor of science, not even arts. Like I got business, business degree, but I didn't know what my job was when we were growing up. And so I started off as a video editor and audio producer 
And so I went to three different colleges and by the third call, I got my associates in like communications and media studies. And I remember one of my classes was in a recording studio. We're like bringing our friends bands in, we're learning how to record a tape and like, and all that stuff. I don't even know if they teach recording to tape anymore, but that was, I'm glad I got to learn that. And um, I was talking to the professor because we were graduating. And I was like, I don't know where to go from here. My parents want me to get a 40 degree. Who, who needs that? Like, you know, I still, I still stand by to work in this industry. You do not need a degree. Um, do they require it? Sure. But you don't, you don't need it. Everything I've learned was really from doing the job. And uh, I never actually took music supervision or licensing in school ever. Never took it. Just did the job. I love that you were like, it's just doing it is where you, which kind of makes sense because you can read it and be like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Until you're given something to actually do and be well, like, oh shit, do I know this? <laughs> it's also like the area of the industry that I think changes the most quickly, constantly. So it's like whatever you read in a book in school or whatever they're teaching you, by the time you graduate, it's already different. So it's like, for me, I focus on learning everything else. I did everything else to make sure that by the time I graduated and I really chased after being a music supervisor, I actually wanted to do it. And that's, so there's recording teacher told me what I wanted to do is called music supervision. It kind of like opened the world up. Cause never heard that term before. You know, I was watching one tree Hill and like, I knew, I was like, I didn't even know who Lindsay was at that time. Like when Lindsay Wolfenden, the supervisor from that show. Um, and I watched all those music shows when they started. I was like in like, I don't know, 11th or 12th grade in high school when they started. And so that kind of like opened the door for research. And so there were at the time only like a handful of schools you could go to on the East Coast. Like we're yeah. in New York. Um, and I wound up going to school in Boston. I auditioned to go to Berkeley because I was the first year that they made business applicants uh, audition I walked out of there. I was like, I didn't get in. I didn't get in. Because they were making me like sightseeing. And I'm like, I'm not a classically trained musician. I'm, I'm going to business school. This is yeah. so silly. So I didn't get in. And I'm so glad I didn't get in. So glad. Because even having friends from Berkeley, because they were right. I went to Northeastern. And they're right next door to us. Um, I'm so glad. Because my school was a five-year school. And um, every other semester, you work full-time in the field. And it's not like getting coffee. Like The school makes relationships with businesses to make sure you're actually learning. And so I worked at Glass Note Records, and I did like A&R for Mumford & Sons' first big album. I was on the A&R. I, I wasn't like the... I was a co-op student, but but they like let me go get immersed in there. I did a guerrilla marketing campaign for Phoenix's first U.S. album, like Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix. Carried a massive blimp around New York City to all like the like news outlets and press people. Uh, so I got like a massive amount of experience just at the age of 21 because I transferred in at that point um, as a midler is what we called it. Apparently that doesn't exist at Northeastern anymore, but I was a midler and um, yeah, third year. And so, yeah, so from there, I just, I worked in management. I worked for publishers. I worked, um, I actually was a publicist on the side for like most of my career, even after school, because I, got so much marketing and promo experience. I worked at a concert venue in Poughkeepsie, New York. Um, so I literally, I learned all of this stuff. Yeah. And then because I was a video editor and I had all my friends from production, I was like, I'm just going to start supervising. I'm going to start, they were doing all these short films. And so I started music supervising for free. I don't even remember half the stuff that we did. I have no credit. You know, I just getting my feet wet, hire my friends as composers, work with, get to work with the composers um, and start to learn like the industry language and 
just from work. My first job after school was working at Harry Fox uh, doing licensing. And so you start to like learn all the different people, where the who the writers are, and you just basically start collecting information and knowledge. And I was, I remember I was at Harry Fox and I took my first vacation and uh, I went to LA for the first time. Cause since I was a kid, I was like, I'm also a surfer. Okay. I was like, I'm moving. I'm going to move to LA. I'm going to live in California. Um, so we, I went with a couple of friends and I, I loved it. And as soon as I went home, I put my two weeks in. And um, then at that point, I just like was crashing with my parents, had a million jobs. I had so many jobs to save up money to go move across the country. So I, eventually I moved across the country with two suitcases, lived on my friend's living room floor on an air mattress. I got my job at Warner Chapel within like the first couple weeks there, like unheard of. Like this is very, yeah, anyone okay. listening, <laughs> this is not normal, not a normal progression. I, I was very, very lucky. Um, and luckily I didn't even have a car. So I, my friends happened to be walkable to the Warner Chapel office at the time. So I would walk and ride one of their bikes depending on the day because it doesn't rain. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> and then, so the first thing I got was a car and then I had my own car and I had more like ability to wander around. And then I found an apartment um, and the rest kind of just fell into place. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I got my start. That is, that, that's how I got my start. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> amazing. That just that first, the idea of just like Warner Chapel right out of the gate. That is awesome. And it's in like walking, biking distance. I know. That's even better. People not in LA, the fact that I could walk to my office from where I was crashing is not normal. Not normal. Everything is so spread out in LA if you have never been. It's so. just so long. I feel like every experience that I've ever had in LA is like, okay, it's it's like not that far. It's like it's technically like less than a mile away. It'll take us two hours. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Here we go. I know. I know. Anywhere else you go, they're like, oh, the traffic's so bad. I'm like, what traffic? What are you talking about? <laughs> what? This is so traffic. you you get to Warner Chapel. What is that experience like? Being kind of like you know uh, going cross country and being like right out of the gate. Here we go. I loved working at Warner Chapel. I love my bosses. I love my team. I love the music. Um, I remember because they were interviewing me from New York. So we were, we were doing Skype back then. Does mm -hmm. anyone even use Skype anymore? And um, so I, I literally, I flew on a Friday and then on Monday I had my last in-person interview in the office and um, I got hired that week and I started in a week after. So it was like that quick. I remember I walked in, I went to go look at my desk and the first thing I see on the wall as I turn into like our area of desks was um, a Michael Jackson award, like one of the multi-platinum albums or something. And at that time he had recently passed um, like within the last like year or two and they were just converting their catalog back because it went back to Sony, but it used to be the, he, his, Music is all was all over the place. It was a genius in business. What everyone should know, like as you roll your eyes as I talk about Michael Jackson, I love Michael Jackson. He's the whole reason I do everything I do in the entertainment and creative and music. Dan I was a competitive dancer. Like it was always about Michael. Really, um, you are a oh, competitive yeah. dancer. I was. I'm an award winning dancer. You'd never know if you took me out. <laughs> like you never know. But yeah, yeah. And a gymnast and a, a like a national, I don't remember, like 11 or 13 cheerleader. Our team was in this, the country, national. Damn. Yeah. Okay. The only thing I wish I was good at was soccer and surfing. And those are the two things I, I'm terrible at. Then I was injured in high school. So I like don't really, I never got to like 
try to get better at soccer because I was basically out from gymnastics. Um, but, wow. but yeah, it was, it all, it always goes back to Michael Jackson and, you know, with all the stuff, it's like hit or miss how people think. But like for me walking into my first job in LA and seeing a plaque of him on the wall, I was like, <sighs> you know, it was like one of those like signs from the universe, like this is the right place to be. And my managers, I still, I still like, I just saw my manager from Warner Chapel. His name is Nick when I was in LA a couple weeks ago, like yeah. still talk to him. He's been my reference for every job after working under him and they just made it like a really good environment. And the thing, I don't know what it's like anymore, but from I'm still friends with everyone I met working there. Like my closest friends in the industry that are like real life friends I met because we worked together at Warner Chapel and that's not like normal for the entertainment industry. Um, and so, so yeah, it's just like really special and I loved what I did, but I didn't get to do enough sync and I really wanted to sync. And so I was, supervising freelance on the side for my friends still, which was easier because everyone moved out to LA and was doing bigger and better things. And so my job after that was working at Warner Brothers TV. So still a Warner, but different companies for anyone watching or listening. But I love that job too. Working That was really what I, like, I feel really um, grateful and lucky because I have like, you know, you have like dream jobs and dreams in life and, you know, like things you don't ever think you'll achieve. And so my unrealistic dream for me was I wanted to be in the next Spice Girls or be on Saturday Night Live. That's like my pipe dream. But then like career-wise, my dreams, which also seemed unreachable and unattainable, were work- I really wanted to work for Warner Brothers Television. Everyone else, I feel like, who wanted to be a supervisor, wanted to like work at Chop Shop. I didn't. I wanted to work for the studio. I wanted to work at Warner Brothers. I wanted to be on the lot. Um, and the other job was World Surf League, which growing up wasn't even called World Surf League. They changed their name, but like, I wanted to do music and surfing. And that was like out of reach because there was no music team. You know, I'm coming from New York, not, not being in surf at all. Like, so like to me, I'm like, how would you even work there? What you'd have to do something else, not music. Right. Yeah. Spoiler. I worked at World Surf League doing music. (laughs) You know what I mean? And it's just, you look back, you look back and I'm like. Wow. So like the one thing I wanted to do it, like in realistic terms, thinking would be towards the end of my career would be working at Warner brothers TV. Um, and I did that within like two years of moving to LA. And I did that because I met, I met Lindsay Wilkington and she was mentoring me at the time. And, um, and I probably, I don't even know if they would have considered me for that job. And, and because of that, it kind of just like had the trajectory for everything else. Cause after that, somebody else I met through Lindsay took me to go over to ABC family for the rebrand to Freeform, yeah. which is funny. Cause like half of our WB shows were Freeform shows. Um, so like I still touched the same shows and then did different stuff in house and did a lot like studio wise versus the network. There's different things that you do in those types of roles. Um, and I love, I love working there too. Cause the network side kind of took all my other experience. So events, PR, live music, um, promos and branded content, um, unscript, not unscript, like short form, which is now kind of just turned into social media fun snippets, like behind the scenes. And so that job kind of just took everything else that I acquired through my life and I put it into one role, which who knew was going to like take that times 10 and throw me into world surf league, which was all of that. And then some like planning music festivals at the surf ranch and like having art installations and craziness. Um, so, so yeah, it's kind of like weird how life takes you. 
I feel like with a lot of those things too, and I could be wrong, I feel like you said like, these are the things that I want. Did you think about them a lot, even when you didn't have them? Oh, yeah. There's something about like that energy of, you know, people will be like, oh, this is kind of like woo woo, but like manifestation of really wanting something, thinking about it, obsessing about it. Yeah. And it kind of comes to fruition. People are like, how's that possible? It's like, I don't know. You think about it. And what would that be like? You imagine what is it like to be in that role? And your, your brain is kind of like, oh yeah, I think this could happen. This could yeah. happen. You know, it's funny because t- back then, um, I don't even think I knew like about all the spiritual like manifestation stuff that's like so prominent on social media now, but but everything I did do, like every decision I made was like with the end goal in mind. And so like the stuff that a lot of people don't see or didn't see was um, networking in the surfing world. And so like I was at Freeform and I also got like a freelance client through my old PR job because uh, the Endless Summer film was creating a anniversary art book, which I'm like, where is it? Oh, it's all the way back there. So I can't show it to you. Um, and so they were, they were like, you have the, the book PR experience and you also know surfing. Cause at that time I've already like done a bunch of like short form spots for John John Florence, who was one of the world champs at the time of surfing. And like, I knew his whole team and like I, one of his buddies became my buddies and he did the, the, the most beautiful surf film I've probably ever seen view from a blue moon. You should definitely watch it. One of his like best friends is like a great underwater cinematographer, but also just like a great uh, DP and stuff. And he shoots all of John John's content, which I think John goes by John now. Okay, um, now that he's not a child anymore. But <laughs> but yeah, so like behind the scenes, I was I was already immersing myself. You know, other people were like trying to get the cool concert invites and doing all these things, and I was like, no, I want to meet film directors, I want to meet producers, I want to meet the people in surfing. How do I do that? And so. Once I was on the map in the Bruce Brown family, who's like the creator of Endless Summer, that kind of just like introduced me to a whole other world I don't think I ever would have had access to. And because of that, it just, it became much more possible to potentially work at World Surf League. And I remember um, I was at, I think like the Avett Brothers concert, like Country Americana, if you don't know them, anyone listening, at like the Greek theater. And I remember the person, my boss at the time was there but she was from New York and I was like, so what are you doing here? You're just like visiting or something. And she goes, Oh, I'm like, I'm contracting for like a few months, temp- like testing out like a music department at world surf league. And I remember going, no, 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 If there was a music department there, I would know about it. Me of all the supervisors in the industry, I would be the one to know. Yeah. And she goes, no, there wasn't one. That's what we're testing. We're going to see like, if it makes sense. And then a year later, all of a sudden she was hiring somebody on her team and so that's how I got in and, um, and the rest was history. And yeah. And so every, every choice I made, like it wasn't about my health. It wasn't about my sanity. It was about how will this affect my career? Like, will this get me one step further to the end of this tunnel that I see, you know, maybe it being surfing. Cause at that time, like Warner brothers was check moving on, you know? Um, yeah. So yeah. So that, that's kind of how that happened. I know. Isn't that weird? It's weird. Well, what's amazing about all of these things, too, is, you know, I think, you know, for anyone listening, the big thing that I feel like that also is your strength is just your personality and your connection with people. <laughs> I'm serious. So it's just like, because I, I it's, you know, as you're describing this, I'm, I can see you in those scenarios being super personal, wanting to connect, wanting to get like to know, can I know this person? Can I know this? Like knowing names, knowing and 
not just trying to get something, but make a connection, build something, build a bridge, build a bridge. If you can help. That to me is what I hear throughout all these stories where a lot of people are like, they try to rush to someone and it's the shakedown. Like, give me the thing that I want. But it just seems like (laughs) you're more interested in just like, can I make that connection? I mean, that's my long goal. I'd love to be here, but let's just build this. Let's just see what this bridge is and let's just try. It's funny you say that because I realize listening back to that, that's probably like the number one advice I give people when they ask for like advice on how to break into sync or licensing or become a supervisor is like, I guess that's what I've been doing the whole time. And I didn't know that you just said that to me. I'm like, oh, I guess I, guess I say that because that's what I do. But I'm always like, no, just meet people. Like, don't try to, it's not about what you can get from them at the time. It's like, just collect people, make relationships because you never know how this person will affect the other person. So like for me saying I wanted to do music at World Surf League, other people will go, well, what does PR have to do with it? I'll tell you, half of it was I needed money. I couldn't afford to live. I had like five jobs and I wish more people talked about it. So I was working full time at Freeform. I was babysitting. I was event catering. I was freelance supervising and I was working in PR. That was That's four. Maybe there's a fifth. I don't know. Do- oh, yeah. Rover. I dog sit and dog walk. And so I would do all that stuff. And like the only thing people really see is this like glamorous, like working under Disney umbrella life. Meanwhile, like I wasn't getting any benefits. You know, I had a strict year contract. And after a year, the studios, they either convert you or they don't. And they actually never, as far as I'm aware, they never made that a full-time position. They never made it headcount. So it's still just like one person and possibly a temp that expires in a year. Um, so it's like all the other divisions of entertainment are coming together and striking. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah. we have this, we have a same issue with that too, but no one wants to talk about it. And it's like kind of taboo, but it's, yeah, you know, I, I am not coming from a bridge. I'm coming from like a tiny fisherman town in Italy, Southern Italy where like my job, people can't even fathom what it is versus like some people who come from, you know, the Nepal babies and all those other people who like have their parents paying for rent so they can afford to, go out and like rent or they're like just going into insane credit card debt. And I was like, well, I don't want to set myself up to fail. I'm going to do what I have to to get by. And because it's so taboo to talk about the people who are struggling, that's money is their biggest issues. Like, well, I know I need to be in the major cities, but how do I make that happen? It's okay. All of us have other jobs. No one talks about it. (laughs) I'm talking about it. If you can do it and your sanity and your health will allow you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then, I got myself off topic there, but no, no, no. I think what you were just also just trying to state is that yes, I was doing these things, but I was doing a whole bunch of other shit. So don't think I was just sitting here. Oh, this is a cool song. Play because I think that's another thing. Like artists, songwriters are just like listen to my stuff, and it's like okay, remember they they have a schedule they have to adhere to, but they also have all these other things that they have to do, and they might be running on very little sleep very little energy and so don't send three emails in a row being like you listen you listen yeah. hey yeah. you listen yeah yeah you don't have time for that no i know and a lot of people think we're just like busy at work and it's like no i have like a life outside of work too like literally like please don't bother me on my fr- don't like ask me on my free time why i'm not answering that's my biggest i guess boundary for myself is to yeah. try to maintain a wall of my privacy uh, Cause it gets like, I always find myself going, how do famous people do it? Because like, I'm nobody and it's creepy. 
Um, and I pay, I pay for a website to delete my information off the internet. So people leave me alone, yeah. like, because the stuff that they can find is terrifying. And like, also I want to protect my family and people close to me. And I'm always like, how do celebrities do it? And so that's like the thing I wish people tech took a step back out of their own objectives to understand, like, I'm not answering you immediately because I'm probably at my sister's birthday party yeah. or like, yeah, i have like some kind of an emergency. Like, so it's just like, be mindful. It's, we're just people doing a job and we like music as much as you do. You know, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> That's the important thing of just like, if they love the song and you've yeah. done everything, you'll hear. Yeah. And I'll guess find what? you. Yeah. I'm going to find you. I I'm going to find you. <laughs> my job is stalking you on the internet because if we want to use your song, I'm going to do everything possible to use that damn song. Yeah. So like, that's what I wish people focus more on. Um, not the end result of making like a million dollars from an advertisement um, and focus more on making good music. You and I have talked about this before. It's like, make, just make good. Is it? <laughs> well, that's the thing too. Like I've heard this, like, you know, when people are like, well, how many songs should I write? I'm like, I can't give you an exact number of like how many quotas you need to do because everybody's different. You may have yeah. to write 50 songs, 60 songs. Yeah. And that's only, that may get the wheel turning. Don't write off that first song and be like, this is the first one I've done garage band. I'm going to give it to you. No, that's, that's no. not going to work. It's not going to work because no. I think they forget you're also a music fan. Like you yeah. listen to music. So your ear can hear when like, that's not, those are off. And I have synesthesia. So like I experience music on a whole different level. So like for me hearing sync specific music um, and now even like people freaking out about AI, the one thing I can tell you is AI music and sync music, not coming from artists creating because they're inspired. There's no soul to it. And so it's like, uh, it almost physically hurts me, I guess is the easiest way to describe it. So everyone's like, oh yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, that sounds like a deep fake of Kanye West. But what I can tell you is that's not Kanye because that's not how his music looks. It's not how yeah. it feels. Like it's not, I'm like, it just sounds like a blah song with with a fake almost Kanye song on it. And so it's really funny watching everyone spiral. Like what I'm more concerned about with AI is like the copyright and like yeah, protecting yeah. your copyrights um, and your IP. But, uh, but yeah, like I think it's, you can tell when someone's writing a song because it's coming from your soul and it's coming from your heart, just like any other art form, I think like, mm -hmm. um, and so I wish people felt more confident to get out of their head about the end game and just, just make, just create. And eventually with practice and time, you're going to find your sweet spot. Right there. Practice and time. I think people skip over that. They're they just do. Kind of <laughs> they just go, oh, well, I watched this TikTok and I can make a million dollars if I put my song in libraries. And I'm also like, also libraries are production music and they're never going to make you a million dollars. Maybe in 10 years, I'll accumulate it. It'll be a million dollars. You... <laughs> You got to do a lot when people are like production music. I'm like, yeah, you got to do like, you know, can you do like at least like, you know, I don't know, 10, 15, 20, 25 tracks a week. And remember each one has a different version. So you're doing lots of them, but then do that for the next like <laughs> six years. And then you're going to have to revamp the cattle. That's a lot for people when they're like, I, I just did a song. Is this good? This is good. Yeah. It's like do more, but it does. It, it can grind your gears. Yeah.
Hey, it's Mike. I'm jumping in the middle of this episode to let you know that we're doing something really cool. We're going to do an amazing giveaway because we're approaching the 100th episode of the Songwriting for Guitar podcast. Can you believe that? 100 episodes. So many podcasts don't even make it to 50, but here we are approaching 100. And guess what? We're moving on to the next 100. And we want to celebrate that. And if you have not left us a review on Apple Podcasts yet, here is your opportunity to do that right now. So all you got to do, leave us a five-star review, talk about your favorite episode, then screenshot that review and send it to us at support at songwritingforguitar.com so you could be entered into the giveaway. So what are we giving away? Sweetwater gift cards, uh, GHS strings, a one-on-one coaching session with me, plus giving away one of our courses, Guitar Essentials. So those are going to be our giveaways, and you have until August 18th to enter. So all you got to do, five-star review, talk about your favorite episode, screenshot it, and send it to us at support at songwritingforguitar.com. Winners will be announced August 18th. Again, Sweetwater gift cards, GHS strings, on top of that one-on-one session with me, and someone is going to win access to one of our courses, Guitar Essentials. Again, my friends, thank you for listening. I love this. I love all the guests that I've talked to. I can't wait to keep on doing even more of this. So to celebrate, leave us that review, and you know what? I'm going to stop my jibba-jabbing. We're going to go back into the episode. Now, I'm curious, you then, after spending time in LA, came back to New York. Yeah. Why? What happened? <laughs> yeah. Did you feel like it was just like this was a time to move back? Well, loaded question. So let's see how I can answer this as like concisely as I can for you uh, without completely derailing this conversation again. Um, so... I, uh, you'll probably hear this from most like East coasters, like New York people, people from Chicago. I feel like we're the same mindset going to LA is kind of a culture shock. Um, and I did not like living in LA. I didn't, uh, California will always feel like home to me, but LA was very rough, um, because I had to change who I was. I had to change my core values to fit into the box to be successful in LA. Mm. And what that looks like is, um, being fake to people's faces, um, being told that you're too aggressive, you're bitchy. Well, also that's a whole like female experience in, in the world. But, uh, you know, but I would just be like, well, am I being aggressive or am I being direct? And you don't like what I'm saying because I'm not tiptoeing around the point. And that's the biggest difference in LA is like in New York, you know, everyone goes, what you see is what you get because we're way too busy to, um, deal with the, the bullshit, you know, yeah. but in LA people would prefer that you fake it. Um, they don't want you to be direct. They want to play this game, play nice, and then they're going to talk shit about you behind your back. They're, you're going to f- watch people fail upwards in LA, but you won't see that in New York. It's very hard. It doesn't happen, sure, but nowhere near as much as in LA. Like, So you work for people in these executive roles, and you're like, how do you not know what perpetuity means? Yeah. Um, that's your job. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? And yeah. it's because like people, people care more about relationships and who, you know, rather than what you've done and what your accomplishments are. Um, and in New York, it's like, if you're good at your job, maybe you and I don't get along, but we're going to make it work to get the job done. And then we just yeah. won't talk after this. We're in LA. You're like forced to be fake friends with people. And then when shit hits the fan, all of a sudden you're alone. So that, that was my biggest experience was like, and it was very eye opening when I did leave because I told no one except for my like 
five close friends um, that kept in touch with me during the pandemic. And then I left. And every, when I finally posted publicly that I was, because I left and I moved to Scotland. So I basically, backwards, what I did to LA, I sold all my things and I moved to Scotland with two suitcases, maybe three. It might've been three with, yeah. if you count the carry on. Um, but I moved to Edinburgh and I lived there and I waited for a while till I told anyone um, yeah. And I made like a post. It wasn't even a picture of me. It was like, it's actually the background on my phone screen. Cause I can't believe I took it. It's like this beautiful picture on the Royal mile. Yeah. Um, and I posted that picture and I was like, I'm here. This is what's going on. Like, I want a better life for myself. Like, I can't do this. Like I was so sick all the time. I was drinking way too much. I was so unhappy. And I realized I never planned to live in LA that long in the first place because it just wasn't resonating with me, but I wanted to do surfing. So I was going to stay until like, could. And every time I would try to leave, something would present itself to pull me right back in. So the pandemic was the perfect experience. Every, every reason you can find to keep you here doesn't exist right now. Um, it's terrifying. Life is short. People are dying. I haven't seen my family in two years. Um, even before, you know, the, cause I moved, no one lived out there with me. They're all on the East coast or in another country. And uh, even spanning to Australia, you know, <laughs> like Italians are in Australia. And uh, so they, uh, so, you know, I was like, okay, no one can talk me out of it. And that's also why I didn't tell anyone. I was like, I don't want anyone to talk me out of it. Yeah. Cause it, they could, they could talk to my rational brain and it, I'm a very impulsive person. Um, so for me, I'm like, if I don't just like do it without thinking, it's never going to happen. And I've wanted to live in the UK since I was 18. Mm-hmm. I went there for the first time right after my 18th birthday and I left a piece of my soul there. I don't regret it at all. It was like the most amazing experience. I want to live there again. But because my visa was up, I was trying to like stay there longer. I just was like, I don't know what to do. The world's still shut down. The offices are closed. I'll just go home with my family. So I crashed with my sister. Then I went to my parents' house. And I was like, I guess I'm going to be here longer. So I yeah. rented a place, this this like very empty place. Because <laughs> um, I'm like, I don't want to commit. I don't want to commit. Um, yeah. Commitment issues. <laughs> and, so, so, and so now I'm kind of just like floating around. I don't know where I'll be next. Um, life's too short to be unhappy. Yeah. I think that's also a good reminder of some of the things that we accept where we're like, yeah, I don't feel great. but health isn't awesome, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to keep on pushing through because yeah. I saw this Tony Robbins video and he said, keep on moving. And I was like, all awesome. right. All right, Tony, I'm going to do it for you. (laughs) Yeah. Well, honestly, that's like what the biggest eye opener with travel is, is like you see your, you see the country and our standards and our norms from other people's eyes and other points of view from different cultures. And the common denominator is like, we're viewed and it's true. Like I, I'm like, yeah, America hustle, be productive. Oh, you're burned out. Take a nap. That'll fix everything. (laughs) You know, like, yeah. America, like the, the insert, the eagle, like, you know, <laughs> which I love. I just, I love making fun of America. It's just so funny. Like Team America is one of my favorite oh, movies. Yeah. Um, yeah. That song plays in my head, rent and free constantly. America. Uh, yeah. Or no, the best one is when there's like this sad montage in, Wa- in Washington, D.C. And it's like, freedom isn't free. I'm sorry. Like, this is like, my brain knows don't sing music on this we're not uh, i'm just like breaking my own rules for podcasts um but what's it called but yeah so that that is the thing i wish more people spoke because we've allowed these norms to be normal and so when you do express it to even your friends 
people go, that sucks, but you know, that's what we all go through. Oh, you were sexually harassed and assaulted. Well, that sucks, but yeah. unfortunately that's normal for the entertainment industry. You know, like cause yeah. that, that has happened to me. I was told I made it up for attention. Yeah. I told myself I'm going to live more um, authentically. Um, and so I'm not going to like, I told myself whenever I talk about all these things, I'm going to be yeah. honest and like, cause I want more people to feel comfortable in questioning our norms. Like it's not normal. Yeah. This is not normal. It's not okay. And how are you supposed to know that if no one says it out loud? It's one thing thinking it and yeah. being like, Oh, I think that, but saying it is not easy, but I think it also makes people go like, Oh, wait a minute. Maybe it is. No, that's not. Yeah. And that allows yeah. more people to speak up. Yeah. Well, it takes time. Yeah. It takes time and therapy. I will time and therapy to like even realize that like you're being abused and like these things are not okay. And yeah, you know, like having somebody sit you down and go, that is not normal. And someone should have like protected you, you know, yeah. like someone did protect me after I was told I made it up, but it wasn't enough to continue seeing that person in the office um, yeah. every day. Like, why am I being shamed? I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't even report it. Somebody else was so uncomfortable watching it happen to me. They reported it. That was the worst part. So I, I, mean, I didn't even say this to you because I was terrified of losing my job. That's yeah. the other thing. You don't speak up because you're terrified of losing your job or you accept these norms because um, you're lucky to have this job. It's the yeah. dream. And like, we can get anyone else would want to do it because everyone wants to work here. And I'm like, I don't care. I just want to go like pet a dog and laugh at something stupid, laugh yeah. at children falling down. Like, I just think, <laughs> I just think that's so funny. You know, like I just want to dance when I feel like inspired to do so. Like, I just don't care anymore. I that's just like love those three things. It's like, <laughs> let me pet a dog. Let me just dance. Like no one's looking and let me see a child just like fall. <laughs> I know it's awful, but it's just, they, they're like rubber and they bounce back. It's just so funny to me. Like, just like, cause I was that kid. I was that kid. I have, I am still that kid. Honestly, I'm so accident prone. People think I'm faking it. I was like, I swear I did oh, not mean to do that. <laughs> I'm just seeing all these little children just bounce and be like, it's okay. It's okay. They bounce. They're just, yeah. they're rubber. Um, I do that. Then do you feel like you're in a, I, I feel like now where you're at, it's like you're, I'm going to do the things that I want to do that I believe in that make me happy. Anything that doesn't fit that I don't have time for. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at. It's like, uh, if it doesn't resonate anymore, it's a no, like I'm not, I used to be really good at talking away the like feeling you know, like, yeah. I feel like your body naturally tells you, this might sound very woo-woo to some people, but your body, like, tells you what the answer is before you even consciously know. And so, like, something comes up and my body's like, like, you physically want to yeah. go like this, or maybe you even do. That's a hard no. And so, like, yeah. absolutely not. And, like, I find it very empowering to work for yourself and have the ability to say no, because when you work for someone else, you kind of don't have that much control. Yeah. Um, and it's really hard to maintain your boundaries because um, you're not in charge. And, you know, it's like, do I say this? Can I say no to this? Like what, what is or isn't, you know, in my purview kind of a thing. And so I get to make time for myself. I get to, go hiking i get to go like yeah. out in nature and like sometimes i'll just like work and sit outside of my patio and, um i think it's so much more important and i wish we valued more of our living here 
in the States, like, or in the industry, yeah. like our lives are so short. And I was hoping after the world going through a global pandemic, which is still happening. Yeah. Um, I wish more people and more corporations realistically um, took into a, account. Like our lives are short and we don't know what tomorrow brings. We're not saving lives. We're making content. <laughs> You know, I'm like this, I'm like, we're making content. I'm not like, none, no one's dying if I don't answer my email at midnight. Yeah. And I used to let that, I used to let that, the guilt control me. Like I'm supposed to do this. I'm like, just cause it's your emergency doesn't mean it's mine. And I'm sorry, I'm not putting my health at risk any longer because you think I need to be working at midnight when I could just answer this in the morning. Like, what about this? Or like, if the song doesn't clear, I'm like, if I'm not answering my email at midnight, why do you think the song I'm trying to clear? Why those publishers, the songwriters, the managers, you think any of them are going to be answering me at midnight? No. And if they do, I don't want to be involved in that. No, thank you. Why are you doing this? What you're talking about, Brendan Bouchard talks about that too, where it's like, a lot. If your life revolves around your email, you're just accommodating other people's schedules and you have nothing. (laughs) And I'm like, it's right. How many times do we see an email and we're like, oh, I need, oh. it's yeah. just like that impulse of just like, oh, I've got to answer Susan. Hi, Susan. I'm yeah. not your send. Whew. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Day and saved. I, it's wild. It's really wild. And, and so I don't know, I don't know what happened to me over the last few years when I'm very much like trying to be loud and proud about these changes I'm making. Cause I work and my career has made me so sick physically and mentally that I just can't, I can't do it. Like I had a doctor sit me down and go, if you don't fix this, if you get sick one more time, you're, you're, you might die. Like a doctor said you actually didn't say my, he said, you will die. I got like a 10 page blood work report about how my body's like basically not functioning anymore. Have you ever read big magic by Elizabeth Gilbert? No. Is that the, uh, pray love girl? Mm-hmm. <laughs> she wrote more books. <laughs> she- I didn't say girl. She's a woman, but you pray she- love. Yeah, yeah I read it by she, love. <laughs> she, she did. She did write another book called Big Magic, where she talks about creativity. And she talks about this one scenario in which she was in a relationship that she knew she just shouldn't be in. Mm. And she was getting sick all the time. Her body was reacting and basically shutting down. And she was like, I had to make this change. Otherwise, this change was just going to destroy me. Yeah. And once she did her health came back. She started mm-hmm. to feel better. She started to live into her authentic self, do the things that made her happy, allow creativity to naturally come to her and not make it seem like it's this like, oh, get in there. And come on, let's keep on going, but allow it to, to happen naturally. And that the universe is for her and she doesn't have to fight or try to yeah. make things happen. If you, it's a really good book that I would, I I'll would check it out. Read. I mean, I liked her other books, so I'll check it out. Um, <laughs> it's funny, just no. that I think it made a movie. Wasn't that a movie eventually? They like, did. It was like... Julia Roberts. Um, really, yeah, I liked it. I like anything Julia Roberts does, okay. so I liked. I liked it. Um, yeah, they. Uh, they. I don't. I wish I knew what it was to like science, like to references, but I believe that there's like scientific evidence that backs like creativity doesn't happen in a productivity busy mode. Like creativity happens when you're relaxed and just like existing. Like, so like you find like a lot of artists 
will go into the woods. Like you, you hear all these stories of musicians making albums in the woods and they like lock themselves away in a cabin. And it's because that's where art is made. That's where you get inspired is you have to remove yourself from the noise to let yourself just be present so you can attune to the nature and like what you need, whatever, you know, inspires you is different. Nature inspires me. So like, I love being in the woods and stuff, but, um, or the ocean or just by any like foggy mountain lake too. I think it's just the idea of quiet because our noise are, our lives are so noisy. Like, especially if you're in music, it's always just like noise, 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 noise. And our, our eyes are just constantly, there are lights on the screen, screens over here, screens over there. The actual, like separating yourself and being like, oh, there's a tree and there's a natural body of water that's existed even before I existed. And when I'm gone, it's still going to exist. Yeah. What? Yeah. There uh I've been I it just came up in a conversation recently, so I feel like it might be nice to talk about here. I years ago, whenever the book came out, Ariana Huffington from like the Huffington Post. Yes. Wrote her book Thrive. Mm-hmm. And I remember towards the back end of it, she was talking about like she fell and hit her head and like got it like really like was a bad I don't remember like the story directly, but it forced her to like very much evaluate her life. And she goes, I realize like every area of my life, I'm being pushed content. I'm being pushed this and pushed that. You go outside, there's advertisements like on walls and on cars now. Um, and she goes, so I, um, I turned off all my notifications on my phone. And so years ago I did this. I was like, I'm not going to get notifications unless it's a call or email, my bank account or soccer. That's not, I get soccer updates. <laughs> football. <laughs> That's it. Um, and that, so like, you know, like, so it, I wish more people did that. Cause they're like, did you see this? I go, no. Cause I, I get notifications when I choose to see it. I don't yeah. get so, so people get annoyed with me because I don't answer social media right away. And it's like, I don't get the notification. So I, I have to make a point to log on to Instagram. And even if I'm on Instagram, I have to make a point to open the DMS, which I'm like, if the number's too high, I get overwhelmed. And I'm like, mm, no, you know, and say, so like even text messages, I started not reading them if I'm not in the space to like answer or like sometimes I just don't feel social. I'm like, oh, I'll read it later. But now I had to stop answering because you can't unmark them unread. <laughs> Come on, Apple. <laughs> and um, so like for me, I'm like, I only I get pushed and it's like created so much peace. I think that was like one of the first things I did on this like journey of healing before that I started that before I even left L.A. And I wish more people did that. Like, don't allow your email to control you. Don't allow social media and advertisements and pop-ups. Like, every app wants to, like, notify you about a sale here. I'm like, no, thank you. No, thank you. Just the most polite. I'm just like, it is okay. I've pet a dog. I've seen a child fall today. My life is <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> You're never going to let me live that down. <laughs> I just love that. But I think what 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 is really important, I think this is refreshing because – there's lots of people that probably think this. Like, I think we all encounter like, oh, I don't think it should be this way. I don't think I should be doing, I don't think I should. And either we acknowledge it or we just like, we push it down. We're like, nope, 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 nope. It's okay. It's okay. I'm just going to go on a shopping spree that will curb my momentary unhappiness of my total existence. And I haven't heard back from that music supervisor. I can't afford this, but that's okay. Yeah, it's and it's just like 
that challenge, I think, is you can still create, you can still live the life, you can still do all those things, but it doesn't always have to be where you're running yourself into the ground, where it's just like, I guess this is how it's supposed to be, and I'm supposed to feel like death, but that's okay. <laughs> it's just like, I don't know, just like, I don't know, Eeyore on like some terrible drugs yeah. that's just like yeah. slowly just, but that's interesting. And to me, that is refreshing to hear because- Again, this is what I think what why people connect with you and still stay in contact. Because I doubt people that you used to work with stay in contact with everyone. No. No. Well, why? It, I, again, I think it's just the, your ability to make connections, um, that you genuinely care about those relationships, too. And I think that's important for any artist, any songwriter. It really does boil down. It doesn't matter how fucking great your song is. If you're an asshole. If you're a jerk. Yeah. See ya. Bye. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're just going to be sitting alone on a mountaintop full of great songs that no one really wants to push because you're an ass. Yeah. The person that's genuine, that's kind, that's like, oh, no, 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 no. Don't, I understand. Those are the people that are like, come on into the fold. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. At least in my corner, in my little, my little corner of the industry and market. Which I think is awesome. I think there, there should be well, more corners you. like that. I hope so. I hope there, I'm sure there are more and we just haven't met yet, but I don't know. It feels good. Like it feels good to work with people that don't feel like they're taking advantage of you Mm -hmm. and vice versa. Like, cause it's not like being a music supervisor. You don't get taken advantage of. You often get people who are like, well, I'll approve this for like triple the budget just because like I haven't made money in three years and you know, I know you need this song for your project and I have 5% and I'm going to hold, hold the whole thing up. We get that too. Like, yeah. so I, I know it's much more common on the other side of the, whatever the fence, mm-hmm. but we get it a little bit on our side too. So that's why I'm like, let's just, let's just like be kind to each other. Like we're not, again, we're, none of us are saving lives. We're making music. We're making content. It's supposed to make, bring joy to people. So why is it so stressful while we're making it and doing it, you know? And that's the thing too, that I try to encourage songwriters. Like, this is it. Like, regardless of how much you're making, creating this content, this is it. So if you hate every single second of it, man, I've got terrible news. This Mm -hmm. is it. (laughs) This is it. (laughs) This is the thing. And so if it's driving you to the ground, you fucking hate it. This is probably not going to be your thing. But if you enjoy it, if you're curious, if you're constantly like, oh, man, every day I'm excited to do this thing. And yeah, there are things that annoy me, but like, I wouldn't have it any other way. I love doing this. I love, you know, then you're in the right place. You're, you'll be okay. You'll grow. You'll make the connections. You don't have to rush and worry that you're going to miss the train or the plane or whatever metaphorical thing. You will get there perfectly on time. Uh, yeah. uh, but and don't rush and forget about the people that you meet along the way, because that's actually the best part. If you're too yeah. focused on just like, oh, I got to fucking get there. You're going to miss uh, great relationships that you could build and c- people that you can mm-hmm. connect with. Yeah, it's really it's really nice. Like the thing that I miss not being in L.A. is when you go to like a concert or like some kind of industry event and then you see everyone that you've been emailing all the time. You just like get to hug everyone in the room. And you're just like so happy to be there. I wish that I wish and I hope that there's more of that. I'm sure there is more than that than I've experienced because I also like have removed myself from like going to events as much as possible. And I don't even go to concerts that much anymore because they started to feel like work. 
I just stopped because they were so late. Like honestly, oh, I'm and they're like, so can, late. They're, can they're we so just late. get a? Can we just agree that it ends at nine? I know. Can we just have it end at nine? So who was it? Was it like Jamie Lee Curtis who was saying like, "Can we have matinee?" She wanted or a matinee. I'm all for that. I'm can there. We just go. I'm just like sweet. So that means I can get home before six thirty. Awesome. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> can you imagine your lunch break is going to a matinee concert? I'm <sighs> down. Amazing. Yeah, I'm totally fine with that. And just like a sit down concert where it's just like we sit down. We're like, that was great. That <laughs> the was the- sit down. That is the key is the sit down concert. Yes. I mean, because like after a while, I'm just like, I got to find something to lean up against. Yeah. No. There we go. Okay. I, I shouldn't have worn chucks. These are the worst foot support mm-hmm. for everything. Um, okay. So let's end on this note. So if out of the places you've traveled. Yes. What are your top three places? Oh, okay. I mean, definitely Scotland. Okay. Scotland's number one. I mean, I feel like I have to say Italy, but no, really Hawaii, I think. Okay. I absolutely loved Hawaii. There's still so many places I want to go. It's like hard to answer. I feel like I'm not equipped to give a true answer yet. When you were in Scotland, did you have some authentic Scottish food? What is authentic Scottish food? Oh, I mean, no, because I'm allergic to like most foods. I'm like the worst person to try to feed. Okay. So I can't say is that. Haggis, haggis is a Scottish. Haggis, yeah, haggis yeah. is like huge. Also, beer and whiskey, both of which I can't drink. Um, or scotch, can't drink it. I'm. I found like a lot of really good coffee shops that I love. Like, does that count? That does count. Um, <laughs> I mean, the, you uh, probably if people have seen like uh, videos of Edinburgh, they've seen my favorite coffee shop. It's called The Milkman. Um, it's on Cockburn Street. It's like this cute little tiny street off the right off the Royal Mile, um, and it's just like a really tiny hole in the wall. Really beautiful, like beautiful, like cozy design. Lots of plants hanging and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but the coffee's just really good. But it's more the people. I love the Scottish people. It's just uh, the banter. I lo- I'm a big banter person because I'm silly. Like I don't. Life is too short to be serious. So like anyone who could just be goofy and make fun of themselves. Yeah. The banter is like the best banter I've had in the world besides Australians. Um, but I've never been to Australia to like really put that at the top of my list. And um, yeah, it's, I think that's what makes it. It's the people and the scenery is gorgeous. But I mean. There's a lot of gorgeous scenery and a lot of bad people. I'm, I don't know. There's just like this mentality of like Scotland, freedom, you know, like freedom. Yeah. Or just yeah. Like that, that rough Scottish voice. But I get what you're saying. Just being in a small coffee shop and banter and just like, there's like, they all just want to talk and like hear your life story. It's I don't like small talk, which is another reason why the industry is so hard for me, which I didn't learn until like only like this year I learned I hate small talk. I, I was like, Oh, no wonder. No, what that makes so much sense. Um, so like in Scotland, like people don't go like, oh, how's your day going? They're, they like ask you like, what are your political? Oh, you're American. What are your political views? Like, what are you doing here? Like, tell me your life story. Like, how did you come here? This is so cool. No one comes to Scotland. They're all in London, you know? Um, so yeah, I love it. Like everyone was just like, I want to have a real conversation with you and I'm going to be silly. Oh, that's Great. even better. Plus, I just love their like the brogue that anyone who has like the heavier accent. It's just like so... I don't know, cozy and inviting. It's like a big, yeah, it's a big blanket. It's just that, that deep, rough kind of like, yeah. Yeah. I, I just can't even do it. But I'm like, oh, I know what you're talking about. Where it's mm-hmm. just like, oh, Scots, Scots, yeah. you know, the way Scots. Yeah. And uh, music is like so big in their culture. Like yeah. you go anywhere and there's like music playing. Um, the one thing I didn't get to do is go to a Kaylee, 
which I really want. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it. It's a Gaelic word. And I'm like, am I saying that right? But it's like a da- like a dance with live music and they have like traditional dance routines. And I'm like, no one's like humping you from behind dancing. It's like dancing. Like, <laughs> you know. This was so good. I feel like we dived into many different things, facets where this is, we'll just categorize this as part one. We will have part two later. Uh, uh, Yeah, this was awesome. Thanks for being here, Jess. You got it. Thanks for having me. And that does it for this week. It was edited and produced by Chris Fafalius. I'm Mike Myers. Thanks for listening.